Hello, and welcome to the Parkinson's Disease Caring Podcast. This podcast is produced for care partners and caregivers of loved ones with Parkinson's disease. This show is brought to you by Dr. Floss's new book, You're a Better Parkinson's Disease Caregiver Than You Think. Please visit pdcaring.com for more information. Thank you for joining the Parkinson's Disease Caring Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kevin Kloss. On today's show, I'm going to share with you an interview that I recorded uh, some time ago with a caregiver named Jack. Jack took care of his wife, Lois. Lois was a patient of mine for many, many years. In fact, I cared for her for probably uh, the last 15 years of her time with Parkinson's disease. And Jack always struck me as one of the best uh, caregivers that I had the privilege of getting to know and learning about what he was doing to help her through the difficult years of the illness. Jack has inspired me with all of the uh, advice and, and, and wonderful ideas that he came up with over the years to help her. He was truly what we would call a, a servant caregiver. And from my practice, we know that the happiest caregivers that we come across are those who approach caregiving with a servant's heart. As I have gotten to know many wonderful caregivers in my practice, Jack always made his wife feel comfortable. Comfort was of top priority in the way that he helped her, both mentally and physically. In conversations, he would always help her out when she was having some difficulties remembering what she wanted to say. And later on, when her speech prevented her from clearly articulating her thoughts, he would always jump in and help her out to ease her mind and reduce her stress levels. He made sure that she was comfortable, that she wasn't in pain, and he was always protecting her from falls or from other uh, difficult situations where she could potentially get hurt. He truly lived the selfless giving that he committed to when he got married to Lois. When he gave the oath, for better or worse, he really lived up to this oath that he made to her. He promised to care for her 24-7, and this was the driving reason that he wanted to keep her at home under his care because he made this commitment to her. He was always providing her encouragement, always challenging her to exercise, to work harder, to keep her muscles strong, and he really was empathetic. He always tried to talk to her to find out how she was feeling. He made sure that her concerns were always addressed. He wrote down any concerns that she expressed to him so that he could bring this list into our appointments and to make sure that we talked about each of these issues so that she could have some peace of mind. I think one of the best ways we find to help empathize with someone with Parkinson's disease is to engage in meaningful conversations. And that means to listen to how they are feeling, to try not to talk 
them out of how they feel or to disagree with how they feel, but to just simply listen. Let them talk about their feelings, their fears, their concerns about the future, and be that listening ear that they need and just provide some comfort. Hold their hand, give them a hug, just let them know that you care and that you are there to listen to their needs. As you will hear in the interview, Jack was very organized in his care for Lois. He made sure that he had uh, meals organized, that he was going to be available to help feed her when she needed help. He had his exercise uh, time organized into the schedule. He had time away and when he needed to go to the office. And so he had a caregiver come in to stay with her and to keep her safe. But I think one of the greatest things that Jack did was showing his gratitude. He was really grateful for the opportunity to serve Lois and the needs that she had from Parkinson's disease. He wasn't bitter. He wasn't upset and angry that he had to spend that time caring for her needs. He wasn't resentful about the sacrifices that he was making. He appreciated the fact that he could spend this time with Lois, that he could give her the love that he had for her. And he expressed this gratitude all the time to his family, to me, and to others. And this helped him have a more trusting and confident relationship with Lois, knowing that that he was truly grateful for this opportunity to serve her. This gave her a lot of comfort. This gave her the ability to know that he was not overburdened by the needs that she had, but instead that he was with her and lovingly wanting to help her through the illness. Jack reminded me of the quote from Albert Schweitzer that said, the only really happy people are those who have learned how to serve. So I hope you enjoy this interview recording with Jack. And I thank you again for listening to the podcast today. So Jack, thank you for for being on our podcast today and sharing uh, some of your story and and your advice today for us. And just in a way of background, I'd like to ask you if you could tell us a little bit about life uh, before the diagnosis of Parkinson's with with you and Lois and your your marriage and, and your family. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Well, we had four daughters. I had wanted a boy and I didn't get one. <laughs> and I don't, blame, <laughs> I don't blame God for that. But um, she was uh, as perfect a uh, wife and mother as I could have ever married. Every night, <clears throat> when I say my prayers on my knees, I thank God for letting me have Lois as my wife and mother of my children and my best friend. But um, having four daughters, I had uh, two girls in college at the same time for 12 three years. So uh, we had a handful of raising four daughters, but they all turned out great. All of them are college graduates. And, uh, or going to their backgrounds, but I couldn't have had any four better children than what I've got. But I give Lois credit for most of that. Uh, I was a disciplinarian, and uh, <laughs> she, uh, as I mentioned before to you, she taught Sunday school for 25, 30 years, so we had a good Christian uh, situation in our family. 
and uh, we didn't have any problems. We were married 55, almost 55 years, like a month or so. We just, we never, we never did fight. I mean, we might disagree. I think she did two things wrong in 55 years, and uh, and that's all. And uh, she got a little carried away with the credit card, and I found out about it. I took it away from her. <laughs> I cut him up in front of her, but. Uh, that, and uh, my memory sucks. I'm 80 years old, so I can't remember. I'll remember the other one here in a minute. Oh, but uh, no, and so we had a great relationship, and uh, she did a really good job uh, with her, our children and making sure they were Christian young ladies, and they all turned out great. All of them are professionals. Now one of them is a CRNA, Certified Registered Nursing Ethics. We had a great, no problems, no, no marital problems whatsoever. Wonderful. And then, you know, obviously Lewis was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, and I'm sure that was a, a tremendous blow uh, to both of you at that time. And But, you know, she remained independent for a long time. She she took medications, and she even had the deep brain uh, stimulation surgery and and did, did well for many, many years. But um, how long do you think it was before you really started to have to help her more where where you had to sort of jump in and give her more assistance well she was able to drive and everything uh when she was first diagnosed and i had a local policeman call me and said jack you need to take that car away from her she's going to kill herself or kill somebody so i took it away from her i'm going to say about uh maybe eight years in it she was had the disease for 17 years I'm going to say about eight years into it. Uh, at one time we went snow skiing way early and uh, she was, she agreed that we ran the skis. Of course, had her whole family there, but she fell on a, not a bad mountain, but uh, she looked up and said, I've had about all this mountain I can stand. Take me back to the house. Take me back to the lodge. But she participated. Uh, I coached youth football uh, for 13 years and she would, my daughters would, bring her to the games and so we 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 didn't uh we weren't handicapped much early but as it got later in it when i took the car away from her because of the danger involved or driving and uh, then as it got i didn't realize what parkinson what a terrible disease that is until it got later in those last well i mentioned to you before you i asked you that one time how long and you kind of quietly, which I don't know if she'd understood what we were talking about anyway. You said six months and she lived four years in six months. <clears throat> but, uh, it, it got tough. It is so, so difficult. It got to the point where obviously she couldn't walk or talk or, and, uh, some of the things that I had to do, I wouldn't put her in a nursing home because I knew she wouldn't make it there. So I had a lady come to the house that would help me. <clears throat> and I think I told you the story that as it got later, uh, she would have crying spells. And if I was here at my office, I fed her every meal because I was afraid she'd choke to death. And uh, although the lady was real good that helped me, uh, she was just there while I was here at my office. I've got over 4,000 clients, and uh, they need help from time to time. And so I still had to come to the office. but. I stayed home a lot. I would come to bring the mail, take care of my clients, then go back. And even when she was there, I would be outside. She'd call me. She'd, Jack, 
she's having a crying spell. So I would come in, I told you the story, I'd get about six, eight inches from her face. And I would tell her, it's not a real nasty joke, but when I got to the punchline, the, the ending was, <clears throat> was a dirty word, and she would just start laughing. And uh, so it would end the crying spell, but it worked. And I bet it, I bet I told her that same dirty joke 50, 60 times, maybe longer, maybe more than that. But way, way to great marriage, it's, it's a bad disease. Um, well, Jack, how did you, I mean, what, what sort of led you to, to keep her home? I know you felt like she wouldn't do well in the nursing home, but, but, but tell me more about that decision because a lot of people are faced with that, that dilemma of do they keep their loved one at home or do they, do they look at a, a nursing home placement? Well, yeah, I, I did go. There's a nursing home about six, eight blocks from my house, and uh, I did go there to look at it. And, and it was nice and clean, and but I, I just she she's always been real prissy, uh, and, and that's not a handicap. I, I, very attractive, prissy lady, and I could just I could just see her not doing well in, in the nursing home. One of my best friends uh, owned two nursing homes here in Tahlequah, and uh, probably the richest man in Cherokee County. Uh, and that, so it's nothing against nursing homes, but I just. Lois was always real prissy, and uh, I just knew that somebody wouldn't fuss over like I would, and I did it out of love, of course. Uh, as I mentioned to you before, she taught Sunday school for 25, 30 years, and such a great mother to my children, uh, making sure that they were raised in a Christian world. And uh, But I knew, I, I just I, no matter who was in the nursing home taking care of her, they wouldn't do as good a job as I did. Because I loved her and I did everything out of love. Uh, there at the end, it may be too much information for this conversation, but she'd uh, we'd keep track of how many days she'd go without having a bowel movement, and it would sometimes be three or four days, and then she'd be so constipated I would put rubber gloves on and have to dig it out. And uh, that's not something anybody enjoys doing, but you do it out of love. Uh, sure. Sure, and she, had she had her faculties, she would have been so embarrassed. <laughs> right. uh, yeah. She was such a prissy lady, but well, you a were, wonderful prissy lady. <laughs> yeah, and you were so loving and caring, you know, in your care for her. And so how did you orchestrate, you know, how did, what was your days like taking care of her at night versus the daytime and, and family or your, your hired help that you had coming in? How did you kind of organize your, your week? Well, once she got to a point where she needed uh, to go to the bathroom, and I still have, like I said, I miss, I've got over 4,000 clients, and somebody needs help every day. Mm-hmm. So I hired this lady, and uh, I had known her. Her husband uh, worked on a bass boat and a riverboat, and so I got to know him kind of and had heard good things about her being a good caregiver. So I asked her, or he actually told me, he said, Jack, when she gets to the point she needs help, holler and, and so would love to help her. And uh, so I did. I, I don't. I can't remember how long I had to sue, probably 10 years, uh, when she started needing help getting the bathroom because she there for a while. She could walk and didn't need a cane or a wheelchair or anything. But once she got to where she needed a little bit of help during the day, I, I still came to the office and bring the mail in, take care of my clients that need help, and I'd go home. But I didn't want to give up uh, mowing the grass and playing golf and hunting doves and 
So, uh, I, and I could afford to hire somebody to help me, so I did. And she wasn't too difficult in the beginning. As it got in the later years of her uh, sickness, it became really difficult. And uh, that's when we started keeping track of her bowel movements so we could help her to have one and uh, more difficult. The right. last four or five years were really tough. Right, because I know you were, you, you were feeding her, you know, you were... Um, yeah, I fed her every meal. And, and even you, even when she got to the end, uh, because I was afraid she was going to choke, and uh, I would have to occasionally put my fingers in her mouth and take food out of her mouth because she was going to choke. So I monitored her really, really close every meal. But I never let anybody else feed her that last four or five years. Yeah, wow. Once I got her to bed at night, she was good. Okay. See, in fact, I could go to my grandson's football game and there was no one there and come home and she hadn't moved a muscle. She was sleeping good. That's great. So you were able to sleep at night most of the time. Yes. Yeah, mm -hmm. she was. Once I got her to bed at night, even though it's last, uh, of course, the last, I can't remember. I, again, I made any came in what I did yesterday, but the last two or three years, uh, she was in a, a hospital bed downstairs. But I would make sure everything was taken care of. And uh, once she got to bed, once she got to sleep, then I could go upstairs. And, uh, and she slept with me up until those last couple of years when she was in the hospice bed. And, and so how did you kind of take care of yourself? I, I know exercise was important. And you would tell me about times that the two of you would even go out to the track and you would get your exercise in while she was able to kind of push the walker around the track yeah. and get, get... Yeah, she would push the walker uh, and uh, <laughs> and I would get my four miles in that back when I ran four miles and uh, and I'd come by her and I'd try to say something cute to her or something and she, she her personality was so outstanding but then one time one time uh, I was on the other side of the track running and uh, she, she just stepped and fell and uh, so I had to cut across the grass where the football players worked out and I got to her and she just made some kind of mistake and she didn't she wasn't hurt at all and so I put her in the seat part and I just didn't finish my run and I went in and pushed her and then took her home but uh, I did that again to prolong her life because I understood that with exercise she could you know last longer yeah. everything I did was out of love though Kevin absolutely absolutely and you were you did wonderful with that, and and how did you, how did you kind of find the strength? Uh, tell me what, what sort of gave you the inspiration besides the love for her, but what else sort of gave you the strength to, to help her battle this disease? Hey, that's an easy question. Uh, Jesus Christ, <laughs> he's a, the source of all my strength. You, know, you have a wonderful faith, and I know that gave you a lot of strength um, through those difficult years, and and. Uh, you were truly a servant to to Lois and the way you loved her and and took care of her. Did you did you find it hard though at times in the later stages to to find the patience? You know, because yes. a lot of a lot of patients who are struggling yes. with with memory and and maybe asking questions repetitively or or not remembering things you want them to do. How did you how did you handle the the patience behind the caregiver? Well, again with AJ, also. Awesome. 
Jesus help it. Yes, it got really, really, really difficult there, Tim, when she couldn't talk. And um, I, I, I would be frustrated. Yes, there were times that I got very frustrated, especially when I'd take her to the bathroom. And I can't remember what I'd ask her to do, and she wouldn't do it. There were times it was just very frustrating. She couldn't talk, and, and you know she was really, really sick. Yeah. But I, without Jesus' help, I wouldn't have made it. No how, way. But how did you, when that anger would come on, or when that frustration would come on, did you, uh, how did you think? Okay, get me through this. You know, how do I? <laughs> yeah. How do I? Basically, I said, <laughs> Jesus, please help me. Just, just, yeah, it was very difficult. So that's why in a nursing home, somebody else would have been. She'd have died. She wouldn't have lasted six months in a nursing home. Even or later, she wouldn't have lasted a week. She would have lasted four days because she was so bad. Yeah. And uh, when she was wearing a diaper, I'd change her diaper. And, that, and during that area uh, of time, nobody, she wouldn't have made it. But when you love somebody as much as I loved her, uh, it makes it a little easier. And when you got AJ helping you, I wouldn't have made it without Jesus Christ. Yeah. No way. Yeah, oh, that's wonderful. I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about advice that you might give to other caregivers who are going to be, you know, listening in the later stages of the illness when you know they're they're really struggling to find the patience and the strength to to keep going and. Maybe they have their loved one at home, like you did with Lois. How, any advice that you'd give them? How would you help them along? Well, again, uh, I, I'm going to have to use, uh, I refer to him as AJ, also Jesus. But without without his help, I wouldn't have made it. She wouldn't have, she wouldn't have lived those six months you gave her. Mm-hmm. But I asked Jesus to help me, and he did. And without him, I wouldn't have made it. Uh, she wouldn't have lived as long as she lived. But... Uh, yeah. Hope I finish this without crying. <laughs> but uh, I, I just I give him all the credit. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, but you know, you were you were such a wonderful caregiver as well, and and I, I'm sure he was working through you. You know, during those times. Yeah, he he was, he was, and uh, she would have done it for me. Uh, she would she would have had a tough time lifting me up to put me on a, on the pot. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Um, she she tried and, and earlier she she tried to help. Well, I remember she, when when you were in the exam rooms, um, you would always ask her, "Now, now, who loves you? You know, who? Uh, tell me who <laughs> who loves you." And she would always smile <laughs> so big. <laughs> oh, she's a wonderful lady. Yeah. Well, how are you doing? How how are you and your daughters coping now? Tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, now that Lois has passed, how how are you guys doing as a family, and and well, what's uh, life like? My oldest, okay, my oldest daughter Linda, uh, right after we, we married Lois, um, <clears throat> she said, "Dad, you need to come to Sunday evening meal," and. Uh, she did it out of sympathy for me, I know. And uh, the only Sunday I missed was yesterday, by the way, because I had a grandson get married. Wow. Uh, wow. Not her boy, but my second oldest daughter's oldest son, and I coached him in youth football. He got married in Stillwater. It was a big, big wedding deal. So I missed, uh, I missed Sunday evening meal with my oldest daughter's family uh, when we got home late yesterday. But... Uh, 
oldest daughter. One of them's married, one of them's college graduate working, but he's going to get married as soon as his fiance gets out of med school. <laughs> and uh, so I eat dinner there Sunday evenings, and I enjoy the fellowship. I have a great grandson that's there, and uh, we fellowship for an hour and a half, two hours, and then I go home and go to bed. Since my heart attack, I I, I go to bed at eight thirty. I didn't used to do that, but I do now, and I get. Oh, sometimes 10 hours sleep. No, but you're still living alone at this point. And yes, I live alone. I'm not going to remarry. There's no way I could remarry. Uh, it's just mentally I couldn't handle it. Um, no, but your family is close to you and your all your, your grandchildren and you yes. wonderful three, support. Three of my daughters live here in Tahlequah. Mm -hmm. One of them is a speech pathologist lives in Texas. She was there at the wedding yesterday and she called me this morning, thanked me for my prayers for her son, son that had to fly back to Florida. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, we, we've got a good family life. Uh, yes, and uh, I still play golf. I still mow mowing grass. Don't run as far or as fast as I used to, but I still exercise because I want to. I've got a granddaughter who's an awesome runner. She's just a freshman and won the conference championship last week. Oh, uh, 115 oh, girls, and she finished first, 22 seconds ahead of the second place girl. She just a freshman, good Christian young lady. She sees me, hears me bragging on her. She gives me a dirty look. <laughs> She's real humble, but she runs again this Saturday at the Wausau and the 5A regionals. But uh, so I'm, I'm real active with my family. I play golf on Fridays with my brother and uh, a couple of friends of mine and. Uh, so I'm still active, but mm, that's that's wonderful, and and uh, I just uh, really appreciate you. You know, I know as difficult as this has been, and and then you know having to to rethink some of those memories and and bring up some of these topics, it's difficult. So I I just really appreciate you uh, being willing to share and and offer some some advice and thoughts to us, and and uh, you're just you've been an inspiration to me and. The way you cared for her and and your dedication and love that you showed to her. Well, Kevin, right back at you. There, there's not that many doctors in this country that got the people skills that you've got. Uh, people mm -hmm. love to be around you, and you were so good with Lois. Uh, oh, it was a, a blessing. It, it, was, it was a blessing. We got you as her doctor. Oh, thank uh, you. Thank you're, you. You're very, very special to my family. I appreciate that, Jack. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining the Parkinson's Disease Caring Podcast. Please visit pdcaring.com for more information. And remember, you are a better Parkinson's disease caregiver than you think.